Well, my dad and I have always been pretty good, like, buddies. Um, we always had, like, our daddy-daughter things. And I was thinking about it this morning. And I actually submitted my notes to him, just a little bit, bit of, like, background behind the scenes. Um, I submitted my notes to uh, Pastor Bruce, my dad, this week. And I was like, okay, I'm submitting my notes for your approval, yes or no. And he was like, you're good. But I didn't include everything I'm about to say in the notes. So what you're about to hear, you have no idea. So <laughs> my dad and I have always been uh, really close, and he's been my buddy, and we've always had like certain things we do together. We, we're big sunset people. We'll, we're like, we love going and watching the sunset. We like, um, he's always the one that would give me ice cream after hours, you know, like mom didn't know. Uh, so I'd get the ice cream after hours. Um, he would always be so supportive about my coloring, hair coloring fiascos. Um, one time I dyed my hair pink and I was like, I just don't feel like I look pretty. And he was like, you look so beautiful, sweetie. Yes, you do. Um, so he was always great. He was such a great dad and he supported me in everything. Um, and he encouraged me to be whatever I wanted to be. So I went through about, you know, 10 different employment things I wanted to be. I wanted to be a lawyer, a psychologist, a history professor. And then finally I was like, oh, I'll just go into business. It's fine. And he was so supportive. And so, um, he was such a great dad and he was supportive and he loved me and he cared for me and he guided me, but he also let me be who God was molding me to be. And so I think that was just, um, something that really, really, kind of molded me into who I am today because I am here by choice. I've had every opportunity. They've given me every opportunity to go and do my own thing and be my own person. And so, um, but then on the, on the flip side, I don't think anybody quite understands what it's like being an only child and being the only child of a pastor. I'm just going to let that sink in. So not only is that my dad, that's my pastor. Okay, they can read my mail, y'all. They can read my mail. They can, they, <laughs> they know the spirit of the Lord speaks to them. They know things. And everything was a lesson. Like everything was a teaching opportunity. And I'll never forget one of my favorite, one of my favorite memories with my dad is, um, seriously, this is playing Barbies. But it wasn't just Barbies in the Rhodes household. So playing Barbies in the Rhodes household was quite an ordeal, okay? So at first, I had to be of age to understand that I did not have to look like Barbie, okay? And then, and then, yeah, before I could get one, and this will all make sense, I promise. Some of you are like, what is she, where is she going with this? So I had to be of age to understand you don't have to look like Barbie. God made you just the way you are. Barbie's just a doll. She's plastic. Okay. And then at first it was just only females, only adult female Barbies. Okay. None of the just adult female Barbies. And then we introduced Ken. I got my first Ken doll. Before he could go into Barbie's dream house, before he could swim in the pool with Barbie, we had a wedding ceremony <laughs> because Ken was not going to move in to Barbie's house until they were married. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I'll just let y'all connect the dots. We're all adults in here. Okay. So 
we had a good old fashioned wedding ceremony, but I, I think it's so, you know, at the time I was like, Dad, it's so stupid. Oh my gosh. So there was no unwed Barbies in the house. And at first there's only one kin, right? I only started out with one kin. So I had to pick the Barbie that I wanted kin to marry, right? I mean, it couldn't just be, you know, wasn't polygamy up in here. It was like one kin, one Barbie picked them. They got married. And then gradually we increased the amount of kins and repeated the process and whatnot. But, and then it was only after the wedding that the baby came, you know, the Kelly doll, you know, the little baby Kelly dolls, because other, you know, I mean, you can't get Kelly before Ken and Barbie are married. So, but <laughs> I just remember that being just such a, a funny example. And at the time I was like, this is so stupid. And now I'm like, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for doing that. It was just such a funny memory. Um, and I think he's probably the only dad in the world that has ever, ever done that, um, ever. So, and that kind of translates into, into what I want to talk about because I'm pretty sure no one else has performed a Barbie wedding ceremony for their child's dolls. Um, but you know, that's, that's an option. You know, we did it and it worked and I turned out great. And so just an idea. So, <laughs> but my dad exemplified godly principles. And even though that's kind of a silly story, even then looking back now, I can see what, what that was doing. Like it was really kind of stupid in the moment, but it did something and it put something inside of me, um, principles and standards for what I was to look for in a family and in a man. And, you know, he used Barbie. Okay, great. Um, you know, so it's 2021 and, um, here we are, we're living in an area or in an era of, of this demasculization of, of drag queens, of feminism, of gender identity crisis. And most boys and most men have no idea how to be men and boys because they're not seeing the example in society, right? They're not being taught it in the home. And that's why I use that example, because I saw, even through my dolls, God's intended plan for marriage and families. And so from a very young age, I understood what it was like and what the expectation was. But unfortunately, boys nowadays have no clue what that means. Women. And anytime I talk about boys this morning, girls, you can, you can insert yourself in there. Okay. Do you know the devil hates fathers? The devil hates men. He really does. Look at how men are under attack. Look at how gender and masculinity is under attack. The devil hates men and what they stand for. There is a 2018 Pew Research study done of about 4,000... 4,500 people, okay, various ages, genders. And they took this, this poll, they, they did research, and the top four words that were used to describe men in this, in this research were protective, provider, father, and honorable. Those were the four words that this study group used to describe men, Protective, provider, father, and honorable. 
leadership and ambition were also some traits that were extremely valuable that ranked high in that study group as well. And strength overall, strength was one of the top valued traits in men. And you know, over the last 30 years, it's always been a problem since the beginning of time, but over the last 30 years, and, and particularly more recently, um, there's been confusion and lies in our culture about what masculinity should look like. And there's a narrative going around that human society should kind of be like a, like a honey beehive where all the men are done and used for is to their, their drones where they, they, they only eat, they reproduce, and then they die. There's this whole movement. But that's so contrary to God's plan for masculinity. That's so contrary to what God intended. That's so contrary to what the Bible says about being a man. Amen? The term toxic masculinity, has anybody heard that term? Toxic masculinity, right? We've heard that term. It's emerged in this culture, and people, people use it, and they don't understand what it means. But what it means is when men act too much like men, it's toxic in our culture. When men act too much like men, it's toxic. Society, schools, government is trying to teach our young men and young women that masculinity and femininity are both obsolete and old-fashioned. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that like a lot recently? Just be whoever you want to be. If you want to self-identify as a unicorn today, you can. Tomorrow, if you want to self-identify as a boy, you can. Right? It's so fluid. There's this it's called gender fluidity. And it's such a lie because it's warped. It's distorted of God's original plan. You know, society is trying to normalize little boys wearing nail polish and feminine clothing. It's all over Instagram. It's really sad. Society is trying to celebrate these teenage boys that wear makeup and do makeup tutorials, and then they become the cover people for CoverGirl and Maybelline and L'Oreal, right? Have you seen that? They're trying to celebrate it, normalize it. They're promoting pop singers. Society is, are promoting these pop singers. They're men getting on the cover of Vogue, wearing a dress and saying, it's self-expression. Do whatever makes you feel good. If you want to paint your nails and wear a dress, that's okay. We know it's not okay. And have you ever noticed that things just, we, we just talked about it. Pastor Bruce just talked about it. Have you ever noticed that things that shouldn't be political are political? There's this thing called morals. It shouldn't be political. Morality is not political. Morality is a God issue, right? Amen. And you know, a lot of, a lot of times, and this is happening in the church, there's this great divide in the church, lest I get off. There's a great divide in the church of, of people that are just going with society because they don't want to, they don't want to go against the flow. They don't want to go against the grain. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to offend anybody. But then there's this other 
you know, and they're going with anything. And then there's this other kind of part of the church that's like, no, there's morals. There's morals. There's, there's the word of God. That's our standard. We don't do what makes us feel good. We do what the word of God says. It's not supposed to feel good. It's supposed to be good for us. I hate vegetables, but I eat them anyway, right? Amen. And you know, a lot of times the church is just sitting back on certain issues and just going, well, it's the last days. It's just, it's, it is what it is. Case Sarah, Sarah. What will be, will be. Jesus said it in Matthew. In these days, this will, this will happen. Yes, you're right. But as the church, we weren't called to sit down and not talk about it. As the church, we're not called to just sit back and go, oh, it's okay. Whatever will be, will be. We're called to have a voice. I know that some people might be kind of rolling their eyes and going, well, you're just being political. Why do you have to be political about it? But, well, because I'm, I'm of the opinion that if the church doesn't stand up and say anything about it, then the, then the government's going to stand up and tell me what I have to say, and that's not going to fly, right? The government doesn't tell me what to believe. I choose what to believe according to the Bible. So, okay, moving back in. So you see what's happening here, right? God's original intent is being warped. The, the lines are getting blurred for men and women, for girls and boys. It's all a plan to decentralize, denuclearize the family. It's all a plan to dismantle family. God's, God's uh, supreme purpose is that boys and girls would grow up, fall in love, get married, have babies, procreate, and carry out his will, right? It's very biblical. And if we can confuse society and if we can confuse people, then that won't happen. So that's the whole plan in this. And we see that back at the very beginning of time with, with the garden and Adam and Eve. I believe that in the beginning, God gave Adam three responsibilities. This is just a my opinion, not thus saith the Lord. But I think when I read Genesis, I, I feel like God gave Adam three main responsibilities to obey him. So to, to obey God, to do what he says, to love and care for his wife or his children. And then also to tend to the garden, to work. There's a whole section of my generation that thinks it's a great idea to sit back on the couch and not work. <laughs> no, it's not. So I think that there was three things that God set up that he wanted Adam to do, to tend to the garden or work, to love his wife and family, to provide for them, and then to obey him. However, in 2021, we have this post-sin Adam manhood example that goes against all three of those things. You know, Adam denied his very God-given nature and he chose the path of passivity. Have you noticed that we d we're not, we don't, we're not encouraging our kids to stand up for what they believe? We're encouraging them to be passive. And many times, and I speak for myself, I've become passive. We should be growing strong men and women who are not passive. Adam was passive. 
If you look at the example of Adam, he was passive. The devil knew what he was doing. He went straight for the jugular. He went for Eve because he knew she couldn't say no because she knew that she would do what she did because her husband wasn't around to say, "Uh -uh uh-uh, no. So when Eve did what she did and fluttered her eyelashes, I can just see it. When I get to heaven, I'm like, okay, Eve, how did it really go down? Because I have this picture and I just want to like fact check it. But I can just see what, what kind of happened. She agrees. She goes with it and then flutters her eyelashes to Adam. Well, he said it was gluten free. <laughs> he said it was going to, you know, make me lose 15 pounds in two weeks. <laughs> And Adam was like, okay, it's fine. Okay, honey, whatever you want. He was passive. He didn't stand up and go, wait a minute, hold on just a second. That's not what God told me. He said, don't eat of this fruit. He didn't say if, and, or, but. He said, no. No, that's not what Adam did. And we need men that are going to stand up and do that and not be passive. Amen. (laughs) Then when he took the fruit from Eve... And he ate it, and then he gets caught, and he lies. What does he do? He blames shifts. Don't you just love that? He blames shifts. Oh, it wasn't me. It was her. (laughs) I'm sorry. Let me deviate from the notes. Ladies, if a man does that, run. Okay? Run. If he's going to blame shift his sin on you, run the other way. Okay? Blame shifting. Jesus accepted responsibility even when it wasn't his responsibility. Adam couldn't even do that. Amen. Jesus laid his life down for his bride. Adam blame shifted. Don't blame shift. Real men, real women accept responsibility. We stand up. We're not passive. We accept responsibility. And the third thing was Adam was a spectator when it came to being brave and courageous. And not a lot is said about Adam after all of this. Not really much needs to be said. He probably was just real quiet, made babies with Eve, tended and hunted, and that's it. He was probably like, I think I made too many waves for humanity. I think I'm just going to be quiet and kind of fade into the background of Genesis here, you know. But not a lot is said about Adam, but I can only imagine he wasn't very brave. He wasn't very courageous. He was just a spectator. Think about the story of Cain and Abel. You never hear the word Adam mentioned in that story. Where was the dad? Right? (laughs) So he took this spectator persona on, and he wasn't brave. He wasn't courageous. And it's time that we move away from this post-sin Adam model of manhood. It's time that we step up and into the Jesus model of manhood. In 1 Corinthians uh, 16, um, 13 through 14, and this is the English Standard Version. I love how it's laid out. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. You know, this verse should embody every man and woman 
who is in Christ. Let's break that down for just a minute. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinthians, and it's interesting because he says, he's, he's writing in the beginning of Corinthians, he says, I'm writing to you, my brother. So he's writing to the men, and the men are then supposed to disseminate it down to the women and, and teach them and, and train them and read all of these letters to the women and, and encourage them. But, but Paul is writing to the men here, and he goes, be watchful. Be watchful. That means to watch out around you. Watch out over your family. Watch out over this next generation. Be watchful. He puts them on high alert. Be watchful. And then he goes on to say, stand firm in the faith. That means know what you believe. Have convictions. Be courageous. Be confident in what you know. Be confident in who you are. If you're a child of God, act like it. Be firm, stand in the faith. Then he says, act like men. Act like men. As opposed to what? Acting like a woman? Act like a man. Act like men. And then he says, be strong. I don't know about you, but if there's ever been a time in history where we need strong men, it's now in 2021. And he knew that then. Sometimes we get this. I think we have a picture of biblical times like it is in, you know, the storybook Bible stories where it's just cartoon and everything's great and wonderful and bright colors. It wasn't. There was wars. There was barbarians. There were tribes. There was the unknown. They didn't even have toilets back then. I mean, come on, right? It was not glitz and glam, right? It was not glitz and glam. So he's telling these men, be strong, be men, be courageous. And then he closes it out and he says, let all you do be done in love. Implying that men should live a life of love, not selfishly, not fulfilling their own desires, but fully surrender to the Lord. And he closed with that, I think, because that he wanted that to be the last thing that they read right there. Because if you do everything in love then the rest will just fall into place if you do it with love. There's this quote from um, President Theodore Roosevelt. And I love it. It says, we need the iron qualities that go with true manhood. We need the positive virtues of resolution, of courage, of indomitable will, of power to do without shrinking the rough work that must be done. We do. We do need those iron qualities of manhood. We need strong men. Men, those around you, women, children, those that God has entrusted you with, it's time to stand up. God has called you to stand up. God's equipped you to stand up. Everything that you need for your season of life can be found in him. Everything that you need, all the tools you need, figuratively and literally, can be found in God. And then women, it's time to call up our men, to call up those around us. You know, something that um, we do in the youth ministry, and I think most everybody knows, but I serve with our amazing youth leadership team, and we oversee the 
the youth, and we've got an amazing group of young people. I love them. They're my favorite. Thank you guys for all serving this morning, by the way. But something that we try to do is we try to call them up into manhood or womanhood. And so we'll do crazy things like make them go camping. I hate it. I hate camping. I said it. There you go. I hate it. But it does something to them. They get out there. The last time we camped, they were, Justin and Madison came with us camping. Justin's a beast. He literally, he barefoot the entire time. And it was cold and raining. They're all out there without their shoes on. Like, Something comes over them. All they need to do is be around strong men. Michael and Justin were out there, you know, hanging off trees, building fires. It's just something. They just needed to be called into it. And so we call them into manhood. And then if you're a son or a daughter, confess that. Confess that over your parents. I was kind of convicted when I was studying and reading and everything. I was like, I should pray for my dad more. I really should. Not only is he a dad and has to deal with his 30-year-old crazy daughter that calls him at all hours of the day. Oh, my gosh, did you see this on the news? But he has to pastor, and he pastors, and he basically fathers other people besides me. So I was convicted. Pray more. Pray more over your dad. So if you have parents that are still living, and if you're young people, pray for your parents. No matter if they're a believer or not, pray for them. They need your prayers. Call them up. We need to start confessing and praying what we want to see over them. So if it's a wife, confess and pray that over your husband. If you're a single lady, confess and pray what you want your man to be. I would hope you want a man that's going to stop a bear if he tries to charge you, right? So start praying for one, not the bear, the man, <laughs> to clarify, okay? Men, confess and pray that over yourself. I am bold. I am strong. I am courageous. I want to leave you with something before I turn it over. This was so cool. I'd never seen this before. In the Bible, I should probably read it more, but it was so cool. It was, I didn't ever know that David prayed a prayer over Solomon on David's deathbed. And while I was researching and studying and I was like just meditating and just finding scriptures and reading, I found this and I thought it just impacted me so much. So if you're looking for a model to pray over yourself, over your husband, over your future husband, over your future wife, over your kids, over your son, over your daughter, over your father, your mother. This is a great place to start. And so this is David. He's on his deathbed. And he's praying this prayer of blessing um, and what he wants to see over Solomon. And he says, um, I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. And it's 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, if you're following along. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to go to verse 4, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, and it says, When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. 
Be strong and show yourself a man. Keep charge of the Lord your God, walking in the ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may establish his word that he spoke to me concerning saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. David prayed this over Solomon because the Lord told him to. And the Lord said, if, if you will pray this over Solomon, and if Solomon will keep these statutes, I will give him favor and the lineage of David will forever occupy the throne of Israel. Now I know you might not have a lineage and a royal line, but you do have a legacy. And so I encourage you that first Kings chapter two, one through four, pray that, pray that over your family, pray that over your legacy, pray that over your future, pray that over your spouse, pray that over your dad. Because that's what manhood is. Those things, be strong, be courageous. Keep his statutes, keep his commandments, his rules, his testimony. Keep charge of what the Lord has done in you and put inside of you. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Wow. I just want to put an exclamation mark on what she said. We're still in the series, Be Brave. And the title is Fatherhood is Honorable and at the same time undervalued. So if I say some things that Elizabeth said, it's kind of like Jesus saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, verily, verily, I say unto you. That means, hey, I'm amplifying this. I'm duplicating this because we need to hear this again. There's never been a time when fathers have been more critical to the survival of the world as we know it than right now. I want to thank the guys that get together every Friday morning at 7 a.m. at the coffee shop. If you haven't been with us on Friday mornings, it's not an exclusive club. I will buy any guy coffee and breakfast if you'll meet us at Trade Winds in Decula here at 7 a.m. Somebody told me this week, when does the pastor ever do that? I've been to many churches and the, the pastor doesn't give his time like that. It's because the pastor wants to, most of the time, I'll just admit, we just want to sequester ourselves away to spend time with the Lord because, you know, for many reasons, or we get involved in civic opportunities to make a splash in the community. But listen, the strength of this church is in the men. And if I don't minister to the men and the men don't minister to me, then we're not going to grow because it's not up to the women to grow Lifeway Church. It's up to the men to grow Lifeway Church. Too many, <laughs> too many churches these days are women-centric. And I'm, I honor 
and esteem my wife. You see, I give her place and we honor one another. But there's been too many churches that rely on the power, the prayer power, the, the working power of the women. And it's time that we rise up and do what God designed us to do. Elizabeth used the word of demasculation. It's really emasculation. Emasculation is the act. I looked this up. This is in Webster's 1828. Emasculation is the act of depriving a male of the parts which characterize the sex. Castration. That's a strong word. Castration. The, in, in, the, in a physical sense, to castrate a male, to take that which characterizes him, the sex, right? The act of depriving of vigor or strength effeminacy to be effeminate unmanly weakness and so there is an agenda an agenda to demasculize emasculation to emasculize or emasculate the man um, I like what Tony Evans says. When men don't make the right choices, the children go into rebellion. The women can take on an illegitimate authoritative role, and then men become neutered and weak. We are seeing this happen today. Today we have too many men falling on the sword. Too many men becoming domesticated, meaning operating in a way that is outside your divinely ordained responsibility. That word responsibility again. So it's no secret that the enemy's agenda is to confuse the genders, to eliminate the genders. We see this this month as uh, Nickelodeon celebrates Pride Month and has children trying to explain all of these flags and what they mean transgender and non-binary and little kids explaining the colors of these flags. If you haven't seen the videos, they're out there. And the ratings on Nickelodeon dropped drastically, dramatically. Because here are little children trying to explain something that they don't understand. The enemy wants to make it so that we can choose who we want to be even down to the gender. I was brought up in the 60s and 70s, and 1976, there was a man, Bruce Jenner, who was a, a decathlon athlete who won the gold medal, who just recently in 2017 decided he wanted to change his gender, but he didn't change his DNA. And now he wants to be governor. And so... It, it's almost like a, a circus, but, but he's a human, right? God created him, and so God loves him, right? You can say amen. God loves him, right? Gender dysphoria, the word dysphoria, I didn't know what it meant. I thought it meant confusion until I looked it up. Have you ever heard the word euphoria? Euphoria means happy, to be happy. 
Dysphoria means dissatisfied, to be dissatisfied, a feeling of dissatisfaction, which is the opposite of euphoria. And so the enemy has created this dysphoria, and we're ha not happy with who we are. We're not happy with who God made us. So there's an identity crisis. We keep saying identity crisis, identity crisis, identity crisis. And so it's as if we reject what God has made us because we're unhappy with it. We don't know how to deal with the feelings. Nobody is helping us. And so we're launching out, seeking and searching for something that's going to make us happy. This is the word fluidity, gender fluidity that Elizabeth was bringing out. And I say all of this to say where we are in our society. They're trying to eliminate men. Can, can you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, we're trying to eliminate the man. They're trying to eliminate the church. Because if you take the strength out of men... The church will become impotent. Right? Let the, let, the, let the whole church be full of women because they can't procreate. Unless you use sperm banks. So, there were uh, bumper stickers back in the day that said, Real men love Jesus. I want to make a bumper sticker that say, Real men choose to be men. <laughs> it's a choice. Hey, it's a choice. God made me this way, and I choose to be this way. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Now we come to the, hey, there's a problem out there, but listen, God and his power and the Holy Spirit are bigger than any problem that we've ever faced. And so not to magnify the problem, we magnify the power of God. There was a time where David and his men... His fighting men came back to the camp and saw the enemy had stolen the women, the children, and everything that was valuable. And he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. And the men that were, were fighting with him turned against him and said, Hey, if we hadn't have been out fighting, then we wouldn't have lost all of what we lost. And so they were coming for David, and David was in a point, he was at a point where he needed to know what to do. So he called the priest and said, we've got to find out from God what to do. I'm glad that he didn't make just a hasty decision. I'm glad he didn't ignore it and say, well, it's not my fault. Back to responsibility. So he called the priest over in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 7. It says, then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And that was the way that, that they would discern God's will at the time. And so David inquired of the Lord. The ephod was the umim and the thumim. And it was on, uh, ephod was, was on the priest clothing. And the priest would actually open up the ephod and dump out the umim and the thumim. They were two pieces. Uh, and these pieces would make a pattern on, on the ground. This is the way that God worked through the priest back in the first covenant, before we had the Holy Spirit, okay? I don't have an ephod. I don't have any umim and thumim. 
right? In these days that we're living in now. But David called for the priest and said, Lord, what are we going to have to do? And David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue the enemy, this troop, the enemy? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him through this and said, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So I believe as men in the body of Christ, we're at that point today. What do we do? Do we just pray for Jesus to come back and sit quietly in our church until they lock the doors and take us and tell us we can't be a Christian anymore? No. No. I believe the Lord is saying, hey, pursue, number one, guys, and I'm talking to the guys now, wake up, wake up, wake up. We've been hitting the snooze button for too long. We've been sitting by and letting our wife answer for us too long when God gave us a voice. It's time to stand up. It's time to wake the young men up around you. Wake up the young men around you. Just like Elizabeth was saying, our, our youth group, we've got a bunch of young men that are aware of what's going on. And they ask questions and we let them ask questions and we, we mold them into what God wants them to be right? We have to put our running shoes on because we're running a race. We don't have time to sit down. We need those turbocharged, rocket-fueled running shoes that propel us to overtake the enemy. Amen. Not to just catch up with him, but overtake him. So we have to pursue. Second Kings 7, 3 talks about uh, these four lepers that were sitting outside of the city. And they asked themselves, what, what, what are we going to do? Just sit here until we die? I mean, we can sit here and die or we can head toward the city and, and see what God would do. I mean, the very least, the worst case scenario is that they kill us, that the enemy kills us. But they got up and they started heading toward the city. And as they're heading toward the city, God caused the enemy to hear sounds of a great army. And the enemy, because they thought that there was a great army coming toward them, took off and left. And these four lepers made their way into the city and took back all the spoils. Wow. Just because people will dare to stand up and head toward the battle. Head toward the battle. We hear the battle cry. It's time for the men to pursue. We hear the battle cry. We're not going to ignore the battle cry. I mean, every Friday we get together, it always comes back to, guys, it's our responsibility. We can talk. We can talk about anything that's happening, but it always comes back to, it's our responsibility. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Let's do something about this. Let's do something about this. So we have to pursue. We have to overtake means it, overtake doesn't it means don't stop short don't stop short we don't get rewarded for trying right well i'm going to try no that's that's weak that's milk toast that's wimpy that's panty waste all right that's how they talk to him in the military hey wake up I want to sleep. I want to hit the snooze button. No, get your rear end out of bed. Now, get down here. Report for duty. Hey. Right, Sarge? Yeah. 
They don't play around. How is it in the church we get to play around? Are we in the Lord's army or no? Is his business any more serious than the United States military? It is. So why, why don't we get serious up in the church? Shh, just don't offend. Like, like Elizabeth said, don't, just don't point. Don't offend anybody. Just don't offend. Don't, don't tell them the truth. Don't offend. No, why are we sitting here waiting to die? Don't stop short. We don't get rewarded for trying. We get rewarded for doing. When we do what we do because what God wants us to do it, it's because he's given us his strength in a, to enable us to do it. He never asked us to do something that he didn't give us the power to do. And so he called us his men. He made me a man and he knows what I'm made of. He just wants me to agree with him so that I can do it. And so men have to begin to speak what God speaks. And if people don't like it, blame it on God. God said it. I'm your pastor. I'm giving you permission. Blame it on God. If you don't like it, take it up with him. I'm not going to disobey him to please you. There's two definitions of love. The world's definition, which means accept me, love me, just, just, just. Take me as I am. And then there's God's definition. God's definition of love says, We rejoice when righteousness and truth prevail. When truth prevails, then I rejoice. But until truth prevails, I can't rejoice. I can't agree with your untruth. Going back to the PE teacher in Virginia. He said, I'm not going to lie to these children who are, who are young boys and they want to call themselves a girl. I can't lie to these children. I can't. I can't disobey God and do that. Then we recover all. We have to take action in the supernatural and the natural. We have to pray. We have to pray. We have to pray. We have to work. In Malachi 4, 5, and 6, the New Living Translation, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, Look, this is Malachi the prophet prophesying. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I come and strike the land with a curse. So, Basically, that verse is saying that the truth preached will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. That's the first part of it. Then as the hearts of the fathers are turned toward the children, then the hearts of the children turn toward their fathers. It's the father's responsibility, not the child's responsibility. Once the father's heart is turned to the children, then the children respond. But it's all based on the truth. It's not based on your wisdom. It's based on God's wisdom. That's why it's so important for men to get God's wisdom. Give your children God's wisdom. And if you have to marry Ken and Barbie, marry Ken and Barbie. <laughs> Whatever it takes, right? To get God's truth and wisdom. Because 
This, God's word and God's word alone is the only thing that produces peace, the only thing that brings order to the chaos, the only thing that, that satisfies us when we're dysphoriaed. It's his truth. And then we have to work. We have to be willing to work. And guys, tell your story. Tell your story. Your kids want to know how you got born again. If you're not born again, you can get born again today. But tell your children how you got born again. Get a journal. There's great journals out there for men, Christian journals, that will lead you in the questions that are important that your kids want to know. When, when did you get born again? What was your childhood like? When your children understand what you went through as a child, they begin, there's, there's, there's a bond there. And we're really bad, guys, about telling our story. We're really bad about that. I had a grandfather that went through World War II. He got a purple heart. He never talked about the war because he saw things that he wished he had never seen. Right? But he closed down and he suffered with that. We call it PTSD today because there, was, there, there wasn't... Back then you dealt with flashbacks and you didn't want to tell anybody because it seemed to be weak. Right? But your children need to know your story. And so there's healing for that. But the bottom line is your children and your family need to know your story. Tell your story. And then one, por- one point of recovering all is what we're going to do here at Lifeway. From now on, every year we're going to have a man camp. A man camp. What is a man camp? Well, all the men are going to get together and we're going to go camping. We're going to do what men do. And we're going to take our young men with us. And we're going to have a specific uh, ceremony at that camp where we call these young men into manhood. And, of course, we're going to talk to their parents about it. It's not anything secret. It's going to be something that men participate in. But we need to do it. I was a part of the Boy Scouts when... The Boy Scouts was godly. I mean, we even brought our Bibles to the Boy Scout meetings. Come on now. What happened? Demasculization or emasculation of the Boy Scouts. But the Boy Scouts, we had levels. We had badges. We had to earn things. And you didn't get to the next level until you did things to earn things and you had something to look forward to. And so... We, we believe that there, has, there needs to be ceremonies. There needs to be prayer. We need to lay our hands on these young men. I was going to call up the guys this morning, but they're all working. Michael, I just want to thank you for doing exactly what, what we've seen to do. Um, Michael, who is, he's not a father, but he's a, he's a surrogate father to a lot of these young men around here. He'll go pick up two or three guys before he gets here every Sunday morning. Sometimes get some breakfast. Sometimes has to honk the horn ten, you know, ten minutes to get them outside. But he's patient. He loves them. He brings them. He teaches them. He leads them. Pours into them. Prays over them. Sees them more than just once a week. That is what we need to do to recover all. 
And as a father, you're in here, a grandfather, grandfather, or maybe just a father figure like Michael, and you're thinking, wow, this, this is so enormous. Can I do this? Because all of us fathers think, can I do this? And if you're a father right now with young children, you're thinking, can, can I lead them in the way that they should go in this climate, in this society, in this culture? Not, uh, not by yourself, you can't. But you're not by yourself. You have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will give you a spiritual backbone. The Holy Spirit will give you courage and supernatural strength to do what you can't do. You need His help. You need His help. A kingdom man is a man who's decided to follow Jesus and has made the decision to operate consistently under the governance of God and under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so when you make that decision and you rely on the Holy Spirit, that is the, the, the power made available to do what God's called you to do. You won't be the best dad you can be until you sub first submit to God and say, Lord, show me your heart in fatherhood. Show me how valuable it is. Teach me how to be an honorable father. Join up with us guys on Friday morning at 7 a.m. We want to make ourselves available to you and help you and lead you and help you. I see a church filled with strong men that women can say, yes, there, are, there goes our men. Hey, they're doing some work. We don't have to wear ourselves out anymore. Come on. Because the way it's been going is, is not the way that God designed it. It's time to stir ourselves up. Stir ourselves up. Joshua 24 says, as for me and my household, I used this a couple of weeks ago, being brave and being strong, you have to declare it. You have to declare the thing. God can help you, but he's not going to do what he has given you responsibility to do.